Welcome, loyal listeners, to another episode of Eclectic Full Contact Theater's satirical saunter down the silly streets of yesteryear, throwing shade. If you enjoy the adventures of the Shade and the Vamp, head over to tinyearl.com slash E-F-C-T throwing shade, where for as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bloopers, rehearsals, and special bonus episodes. And now, sit back and relax, and enjoy Throwing Shade! There is a darkness in the minds of men, a darkness in their hearts, a darkness in a room with no lights. And who knows that darkness? The Shade knows. And I know you all probably weren't expecting to hear from us again, but we're back! Fortunately, the theme song and intro haven't changed. Unfortunately, neither have the jokes. Oh well, can't have everything. So hold on, everybody, as we kick off whatever this is going to be. By day, Theodore Rockwell is a go get reporter for the Chicago Gazette Times Herald, but by night he becomes The Shade. He, assisted by his girl Friday, Wednesday morning, who is the mysterious female vigilante, the vamp, defends the downtrodden and fights the forces of evil. But can one man defend the innocent from the scourge of Chicago's underbelly? Find out in this season's premiere episode, Unfinished Sentences. And with a new season comes, naturally, a new sponsor. I'm not exactly sure what was wrong with the last one. Uh, To be honest, it's been so long, I don't remember who the last sponsor was. So let's just start fresh and welcome the as-yet-unindicted folks at Wood Tick Whiskey. Blindingly good. Also brought to you by Eclectic Full Contact Theater, bringing you 1930s radio-style satire since, well, let's just say it was before our presidents turned orange. Previously on Throwing Shade, um, something about hats. Anyway, on to our story. Act 1, Scene 1. Look out! Cleveland! Theo really steps in it. Time had passed since the last adventures of the Shade and the Vamp. How much time, you ask? How much time? Enough that we somehow made it into early 1938, or thereabouts. The Depression was still going strong. Cubs fans were still reminiscing about 1906. And at the offices of the Chicago Gazette Times Herald, editor in chief Clarence Clemens. Rockwell! Morning! Get in here! was still himself. You bellowed, Chief? You too like working here? I'm sorry? I don't understand the question. Do you like working here? Um, define. Like, Mr. Clemens. Oh, for crying out loud! Like, enjoy, look forward to. Like! 
That's what I thought. Wednesday, he's talking about feelings. I know. I'm scared. Hold me. Theo. <laughs> Theo, I can't hold you and the typewriter at the same time. Get down. No, it's scary down there. It's too heavy. Oh, 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 oh no. Oh, look what? out. I wondered where that cat had got to. My desk! Rockwell! It wasn't my fault, Chief. Wednesday was the one who fell over. It wasn't my fault, Mr. Clemens. It was gravity. And you know what they say, Chief? Gravity isn't just a good idea. It's the law. You can't give me demerits for that. I was supporting you. I don't make the rules. Enough! I've had it! You two are fired! Fired? But, Mr. Clemens, why? Yeah, Chief, why? It doesn't make any sense. Oh, it doesn't? What about this? Well, to be fair, Chief, that's not the first piece of furniture Wednesday. <clears throat> uh, sorry, we. <clears throat> okay, I've broken. That's the point! But, Mr. Clemens, while we may be a bit, uh, unorthodox... Unorthodox? I'm reformed myself. We make up for it by being the best reporters you've got. No. You used to be the best reporters I've got. You two haven't written a decent story since... Well, since the last time you wrote a decent story. The one about those hat guys. Hat guys? The Haberdasher Society. Oh, right. Oh, right. That was a while ago, wasn't it? Maybe. I'm a bit hazy on chronology. Now I'm a Presbyterian myself. <laughs> points. Yes, points. Definitely points. Now where was I? Oh, right. You're fired! I need reporters who sell papers. I thought the Newsies did that. Not the time, Theo. Mr. Clemens, please give us another chance. The mayor is holding a press conference today, and I'm sure that'll give us a crackerjack story. Why would I want a story about some snack that gives you cheap toys? Yeah, why, Wednesday? Not that kind of crackerjack. Right, not that kind of crackerjack, Chief. Well? And if we don't, uh, not only can you fire us, but we'll leave Chicago and never write for another paper ever again. Right, wait, wait. What? Now that's a deal. You got it. Now, no, wait, just a minute. Good work, Morty. That wasn't mine. Now get out there and get me that story. Or don't. It's a win-win for me either way. I think that was very successful. Are you out of your mind? Why would you do that? Wednesday, why are you so upset? Clemens finally gave you credit. That wasn't my idea. That would never have been my idea. That idea was quite possibly the worst idea in the history of ideas. Of course it was your idea, Wednesday. Sure, I may have sweetened it a little. Sweetened it! But I was just trying to support your idea to get Clemens to give us another chance to keep our jobs. And it worked! I, uh, you, well, I can't even, I didn't. <sighs> One of these days, Rockwell, we are going to have a long talk about what support actually means. Relax! What's the worst that could happen? 
the mayor doesn't have anything newsworthy to announce, we fail to impress Clemens, lose our jobs, and have to leave Chicago. Where exactly am I supposed to go? I hear Cleveland's nice. You do not hear that. No, no, I don't. But don't worry, Wednesday. You told Clemens we would give him a great story, and I believe in us. Come on, off to City Hall. I know I say I wish Theo would listen to me more, but I swear, sometimes that's worse. Act One, Scene Two. Thinking Outside the Box. A couple of reprobates get a reprieve. A short time later, Theo and Wednesday join the crowd of reporters on the steps of City Hall. Gentlemen, gentlemen, and ladies. Wow, would you look at that? And canines <laughs> of the press. I've called you all here today to announce an event of incredible import to this city, its citizens, and myself personally. This sounds just like the story we need. Don't get too excited. He could very well be announcing a plan to put up a statue of himself. I would like to announce that the city council has approved the construction of a statue of yours truly to commemorate an unprecedented and unblemished ten terms as your mayor. Wednesday, that's amazing. You're psychic. Oh, goody. Maybe I can get a job with the circus as a fortune teller after we lose our jobs. You're never going to let that go, are you? Now who's psychic? Mr. Mayor, stop! Stop! Parada! Wow, a statue and a parade. Rosa, what are you doing? I am interrupting your press conference, Mr. Mayor. I thought that was obvious. She has a point. Ask a silly question. All right. Why are you interrupting my press conference? Because you are reading the wrong paper. I am? He is. You are. Theo, do you know what this means? Yes, you're not psychic. I swear, Cleveland is starting to look good. I'm sorry, everyone. This is the press announcement the mayor was supposed to take this morning. Then what's the other one? That's the one we let you read every morning to put you in a good mood. I thought it sounded familiar. So, no statue? No. Aww. Maybe soon. Huzzah! Maybe this is the story we should write. Nobody would believe it. Well, now, while I know we are all disappointed that there will be no statue... We are? We are? Eh, not so much. Something else that hasn't changed this season is the writer's inability to find a point. This is an announcement of incredible import to the city, its citizens, and myself. This morning, there will be several inmates released from Joliet Prison. Of special interest are two local convicts. Police Chief Cannoli has more information. 
Today, both the Misty LeBlanc and the Kid Italy are being released from a prison on a parole. I can't believe what's happening. How can Missy LeBlanc get parole? She tried to take over the city with a freeze ray. And Kitty Tally is a member of organized crime. And she kidnapped me. Then both of them tried to help John Duche frame me as the shade. And Kitty's bar is really hard to find. I don't know. I've never had a problem. <laughs> to be fair, it's not really illegal to be a cat person. Uh... But it is unethical. If I could have everybody's attention, as useful as that recap was, the fact of the matter is that a Joliet prison is overcrowded, and trying to topple democracy and being a part of organized crime is not that bad. So they is being let go on a good behavior to make room for real criminals. Real criminals? Like who? Labor organizers, vagrants, and the malate demente. What's that? I think I had it for dessert last night. Scusi. I mean it to say the ones who are pigeons. Pigeons? Chief, are you locking up animals again? Hey, cannoli never locked up no animals, no matter how much they deserve it. No, I mean the ones who are like pigeons. Wednesday. Theo, don't do it. I can't help it. Resist! I can't. The urge is too strong. Chief! No! What do you mean, people who are like pigeons? You know, a cuckoo. I hate to admit it, but that one makes sense. Thank you, Chief Cannoli, for whatever that was. I need you, the members of the press, to spread this information far and wide, and should Misty and Kitty show their faces in our fine city, I want you to hound them mercilessly so they have no chance to threaten me, um, us, ever again. Huh? Mr. Mayor? Yes, Rosa, what is it? Really? See. <sighs> Very well. Apparently, I need to state officially that should either of them return to Chicago, the press is to respect their status as private citizens and not hound or harass them in any way. There. I said it. And we heard it. It's on the record! Thank you all for allowing me this plausible deniability. Now go forth and do your worst. Your jobs! Yes, yes, your jobs. That's what I meant to say. Do your jobs. That is all. This is it, Theo. The story we need. Two of the most dangerous criminals Chicago has ever known returning to the city that incarcerated them. Who knows what they might do when they come back? It could be chaos. Mayhem. A crime wave the likes of which has never been seen before. We're, We're saved! Act 1, Scene 3. Jailbirds of a Feather. Misty and Kitty return. Meanwhile, 
at a Greyhound bus station on the wrong side of Chicago's tracks, two very special passengers were disembarking. Smell that air, Misty? That's freedom! <coughs> freedom smells like the tanneries. It's amazing to me that after almost five years in prison, you still have these highfalutin airs. I can't help it, Kitty. I'm just better than most people. I think my favorite thing about you has to be your humility. Look, Kitty, I appreciate you using your status as a doyen of organized crime to help make prison easier on me. See? This is what I'm talking about. I wouldn't have had to use my clout if you'd have stopped using them 25-cent words. Kitty, it's 1938. That word is worth at least 50 cents. Aye, bloody inflation. But I'm serious, Misty. You got to try to be more like normal people and not so snooty. Especially if we're gonna go straight. Kitty, I was your cellmate for over three years. Exposition upgrade unlocked. And I can tell you right now, I don't believe either of us can go straight. We have to try. I don't ever want to go back to the slammer. The rest of my family is still locked up for who knows how long. That ain't gonna be me. I'm not eager to go back either, you know. I'll bet. I don't think I've ever seen any woman spend more time in the box than you. I couldn't help it. Joliet had some of the hardest screws anywhere. Yeah, but you kept trying to get a rise out of them. It's almost like you enjoyed the box. The first time was uncomfortable and awkward, but after a while, you get used to it. All the more reason to settle down and blend in. But why are we on this side of town? Because even with us living together, to, to split, split expenses, expenses, this is the best we can afford. It ain't like they let you out of prison with anything approaching enough to actually start up a decent life. But it's only temporary, until I can get back in the little man in the boat. You really want to go back to that place? Of course I do. It's the only family business the Tully's had that's legitimate. Kind of. I don't know. I don't think I'm cut out for that. Oh, Misty, trust me. I have no doubt you're going to be a natural at the little man in the boat. Well, just remember, I have plans of my own. I know, I know, but neither of us will be able to do anything without Dosh. And that means the little man in the boat. Now come on, let's get into the boarding house. Hailing a taxi, Kitty and Misty headed off to the Langolan Home for Single Ladies, a well-known halfway house for ex-convicts of the fairer sex. Unfortunately for the two formerly incarcerated femme fatales, the house's reputation was a little too well known. <laughs> Do you want revenge? If I'm the mayor. Are you teaming up? Living together? Is Misty a member of the Tally family now? What's the matter, ladies? Can't got your tongue? <sighs> Sorry, Puddles. Stop hounding us. <laughs> I am not sorry, Puddles. As the hullabaloo continued, near the back, 
Theo and Wednesday watched on and were concerned. Theo, I'm concerned. So am I, Wednesday. I know it's newsworthy, but I don't feel good about how dogged the press are being in their questioning. Arrgh. Wow, Puddles is really sensitive lately. Any reporter who drinks out of the toilet is in no place to criticize others' decorum. You've been waiting a long time to say that, haven't you? Yes. Yes, she has. I don't much like it either, Wednesday, but the public should know what the two of them are up to. But they just got off the bus, Theo. They haven't had a chance to unpack, much less start a crime spree. I don't think this is the way we should be following this story. Yeah, but if somebody else gets the scoop on us... I know. Cleveland. Or worse, Des Moines. <gasps> Bite your tongue! Ow! Wednesday did her best to ignore the fact that even after all the years they'd worked together, Theo still insisted on taking too many things literally. She decided to move on. Let's move on. Good plan. I think I know how we can get a scoop without acting like those jackals. How? We come back later as the Shade and the Vamp. That way we can talk to them without a crowd. Do you really think that either one of them will want to talk to the Shade and the Vamp? They won't really have a choice. We need to find out what they're up to. Didn't I just say that? I didn't say I trusted them, Theo. I just don't like to act like a bunch of rabid dogs. I'll grow up, Puddles! Act 1, Scene 4, Third Degree Burns Valorous Vigilantes Visit Villainous Vixens Misty and Kitty, having settled into their shared room, To split expenses! Moved on to discussing their next steps. So, what are our next steps? I'm so glad you asked. So am I. This plot's gotta get started sometime. We have to get the little man the boat back. And how do we do that with no money? They gave us just enough to pay for the bus when they let us out. Barely. I've got a plan. <gasps> Is it a cunning plan? It's an extremely cunning plan. We step away from the two ladies' use of cunning language to turn our attention to the shade and the vamp, perched outside the room's window. Well, they should have been perched outside the room's window. Apparently, however, there were some... issues. Shay, what are you doing? I am attempting to throw my shaderang up to the roof, catch it on the chimney, then climb up the attached shade rope so we can perch outside the room's window. You know, we could just... Wait a minute. Shade-a-ring? Shade-rope? Yes, I thought that designing some shade-specific equipment would help us become even more famous. And why would we want to do that? So we could get invited to crime-fighter conventions. There are crime-fighter conventions? I don't know, because we've never been invited. Ah, uh, never mind. So you made a... what did you call it? Shaderang. It's a boomerang. A shaderang. And what exactly makes it a shaderang? It's black. That's it. Well, originally I had tried to shape it in the likeness of my hat but that wasn't particularly aerodynamic. 
I can imagine. And the shade rope is just a... Black rope. Well, as impressive as that equipment may or may not be, I think a better plan would be... I made one for you. I'm sorry? I made you a vamp-themed piece of equipment. I know I shouldn't do this. No, she really shouldn't. But what is this vamp-themed piece of equipment you made me? Well, I know how important your pockets are to you. They are. And I also thought that you could always use more. I could. So I made you the vamp pocket. The vamp was dumbstruck by what the shade was holding in front of her. It's a large portable pocket which contains inside it Several smaller pockets. Voila! The vamp pocket. It's a purse. A vamp pocket. A black purse. Vamp! You say vamp pocket one more time. I swear you'll be eating that boomerang. Shaderang. You! Now can we please just use the fire escape on the side of the building? I guess. Though that's not the kind of move that'll get us a crime fighter convention invite. There aren't! You know what? Maybe not. But discovering the plot of two dangerous criminals just might, don't you think? Good idea, vamp. Here, take the vamp pocket. You never know when it might come in handy. Shade, I know you mean well, but this thing is just going to fall off my shoulder in a fight. That's why I made the vamp strap. Now you can sling it across your body. Well, that's at least useful. And it matches your shoes. Ooh! I am so ashamed. Come on! Our heroes finally made their way up the fire escape. To the window outside Kitty and Misty's room. Just in time to hear... Sounds risky. Trust me, there's something in this bag that'll guarantee the bankers play ball. Well, then it looks like we're off to do a number on the First National Bank. I can't wait to see their faces. Shade, did you hear that? I did, and I have to say I'm surprised. You are? Yes, I had no idea that Kitty and Misty had spent their time in prison becoming a dance act. And I had no idea that banks were hiring entertainers. The vamp stared at the shade silently, attempting to formulate an appropriate response. Then, one finally came to her. No! You were right, Shade. The vamp pocket did come in handy. We'll return to throwing shade, unfinished sentences, in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. Friends, now that prohibition is in the past, do you find yourself longing for luxurious libations, only to have your dreams dashed by your depression-deprived bank account? Then look no further than Wood Tick Whiskey, the very best whiskey you can afford. Some highfalutin whiskeys are made in oak barrels, but wood tick whiskey cuts back on waste by being made from the barrels. And none of that fancy oak, neither. 
No, sir. Wood Tick Whiskey is made from the finest white pine, dogwood, and hickory. Straight from Appalachia, America's distillery. So, get yourself some Wood Tick Whiskey and never see whiskey the same way again. And now, a few words from other important personages. If you love live audio drama performed with musicians and in-person foley, then you'll love Eclectic Full Contact Theater's Crash Box Festival of Short Live Audio Plays, appearing November 16th through the 19th at the Edge Off-Broadway Theater in Chicago. See six amazing audio scripts written in the noir genre, performed live. Grab your fedora and sit back for an evening of wise-cracking dames, hard-boiled P.I.s, and twisty plots, where the truth hides in the shadows, but the sound effects are out in the open. Go to eclectic-theater.com for info and tickets. And now, back to our story. Act 2, Scene 1. Distaff Disputes. Editor-in-Chief Clarence Clemens puts his foot down, and then gets it stepped on. As the Shade and the Vamp made their way to the First National Bank, after a brief detour to visit noted crime-fighter physician Dr. Sherry, It's nothing more than a usual-like concussion. How did it happen this time? <laughs> Gang of thieves? Fall down a manhole? Someone paint a tunnel on the side of a mountain? I hit him with my purse. Lamp pocket. Understandable, but in the future, try to avoid the head. Despite what popular culture might tell you, you can't knock sense into somebody. <laughs> Works when I do it to the radio. She's not wrong. <sighs> Just try to take it easy, Shade. Don't overtax your brain. Never do, Doc. He's not wrong. Thanks, Dr. Sherry. I'll make sure he takes it easy and that I aim for the torso. Put it on my tab, Doc. Go into vigilante medicine, they said. You'll never be bored, they said. Meanwhile, across town at the Gazette Times Herald, Editor-in-Chief Clarence Clemens was feeling strangely uneasy. Hmm. I feel strangely uneasy. You know what? I'm not even mad. I'm just disappointed. Brockwell! Morning! Get in here! You bellow, Chief? Winchell! I didn't bellow for you! Where are Rockwell and Morning? And don't call me Chief! They're out working on the Missy LeBlanc and Kitty Tally release story. What? Why I ought to I would have thought you'd want them working on a story like that, Chief, uh, Mr. Clemens. I do! But I also want them here when I need to yell at somebody! Gee, that sounds kind of capricious, Mr. Clemens. Impossible! I'm a Sagittarius! Is there something I could help you with? Hold on. Let me look. Well, what do you know? There is something you can help me with. Excellent. Let me have it. Winchell! Holy perforated eardrums, Chief. I'm already in the room. Oh, right. 
Listen, Winchell. Now, I know I let you write that column about all the hoo-ha over in Europe. Yes, and I want to thank you for that, Mr. Clemens. I think it really brought a certain je ne sais quoi to the paper. Hold on, Winchell. I didn't give you permission to hire anybody. And besides, this Jenny Sequa sounds like a communist. No, Chief. You don't understand. Je ne sais quoi is French. That's even worse. Wait. She's not a mime, is she? I hate mimes. No, no, she's not. Good. Now listen up, Winchell. I told you you could write a short column about the rest of the world. I, I know, Mr. Clemens, and I've done everything I can to keep it short. Short? Short? You call this short? Well, yes, that column only takes up... Half a page! Half a page about stuff that has nothing to do with America! But the column itself is only half an inch wide. That's not the point! The entire article could be one sentence. People are calling each other names in Germany. That's a gross oversimplification, Mr. Clemens. The tensions created by the Nationalist Socialist Party could very easily erupt and have wide-ranging ramifications for America and the rest of the world if they're not stopped. I thought you bleeding hearts liked socialists. They're not... It's just a word they added to their party to help consolidate power. Just because I call a dog a cat doesn't make it one. Why are you wasting column space on German cats? I'm not... Mr. Clemens, is it possible that perhaps you're upset about something else? What? It's just that the article isn't any longer than any of the other articles I've written. So I'm wondering if perhaps you're upset about something else and are instead taking that anger out on me instead of the thing you're actually upset about. What are you looking for? Where are Wednesdays hiding? Because there's no way all that malarkey came out of a full-grown man. Mr. Clement. Fine! Yes, I'm feeling strangely uneasy. Seems I heard that somewhere before. Well, you know, Mr. Clemens, I think I have just the thing to help. You do? I do. Wood Tick Whiskey. Made from the finest Appalachian trees, Wood Tick Whiskey guarantees that after a few sips, your problems will fade into darkness. Well, I do enjoy covering up my emotions with alcohol. Exactly. What's more American than drowning your troubles? But I'm tired of having to pay through the nose for those fancy Dan whiskeys. Worry no more, Mr. Clemens, because Wood Tick Whiskey cuts out the middleman. No nosy government inspectors, no reveners, no retailers insisting on their cut. No. When you purchase Wood Tick Whiskey, it comes straight from an unknown location, deep in the mountains, straight to you. How does it taste? After a bottle of Wood Tick Whiskey, you'll never look at another brand again. And remember, it's either Wood Tick Whiskey or you have to deal with your feelings by talking about them. Wood Tick Whiskey it is! Though I would like to know why I have this sense of impending doom hanging over my head. Clarence? Mitzi, what are you doing here? Who's that lady, Chief? That's no lady, that's my wife. You know what? Even though I had nothing to do with that, I feel like I should apologize. I'll show myself out. 
Mrs. Clemens, it's so nice to meet you. Chief, you never mentioned your wife was so... No, I didn't! And don't call him Chief! Sorry, Chief. Uh, Mrs. Clemens? Now, I'd like to talk to my husband alone. So I'm scray. Rachel, don't leave me! Sorry, Chief! Now, Mitzi, what are you doing here? I'm busy. I just wanted to check and make sure you didn't forget. Forget? Of course I didn't forget. How could I forget? Considering you forgot the last three times, I just assumed I'd slipped your mind yet again. What? No, don't be silly. Mind like a steel trap, my dear. Good, because remember what I told you. You forget one more time and my mother is coming to stay with us while she recovers from her ingrown toenail surgery. She is? And the doctor said it could take months. He did? So I'm sure you have something wonderful planned for tonight. I do? I mean, I do. I mean, tonight? Yes, tonight. Unless you forgot. What? No, I didn't forget. Definitely something wonderful tonight for the thing that I definitely did not forget. Good. Then I'll see you tonight. Oh, and Clarence. Yes, dear. No working late. Yes, dear. Of course not, dear. Editor-in-Chief Clarence Clemens tiptoed over to the door and cracked it open. To make sure his wife was really gone. Once he saw the coast was clear... Winchell! You shot him, Mr. Clemens? Winchell, I need your help. It's a matter of life and death. No, it's worse. It's a matter of life and mother-in-law. Gee, I'd love to help, Chief, but I'm busy editing my column for space. How'd you like front page? Just below the fold. I'm in. Act 2, Scene 2. Shade. Hey, you can't drive my car! The Shade and the Vamps relationship takes a wrong turn. Let us draw a curtain across whatever editor-in-chief Clarence Clemens and Wally Winchell are planning and return to the Shade and the Vamp, who swiftly tracked down Misty and Kitty. Well, they would've swiftly tracked Misty and Kitty, save for the fact the Shade was the one driving Wednesday's Nash Advanced Six Coupe. How is it you still don't know how to drive? And why are we driving instead of doing the leaping across the rooftops thing? To answer your second question first, because two people in all black are less likely to be spotted in a car in the middle of the day as opposed to leaping across rooftops. That's... um, okay. That actually makes some sense. As for the first question, this only happens when I drive your car. I think a better question would be, why do you keep letting me drive? Oh no, you're not making this my fault. Also, I don't think all of this is me. 
do you mean? How old is this car? <gasps> you, you never ask a lady her car's age. I don't think that's a thing. I never thought I'd say this, but the shade is right. I'm scared. Somebody hold me. It's a poor craftsman who blames his tools. This wouldn't be happening if I was driving. All right, then. All right, then. I'll show you how to swiftly track someone. Hold on. Amelia, no, say it isn't so. Amelia? Yes, I named my car after Amelia Earhart. You named your car after an explorer who got completely lost and disappeared? Quiet, you. I think it's pretty obvious you need a new car. This is because of what you put her through. She just needs a good mechanic. <laughs> More like a good undertaker. I'm pulling over. We're taking the roof route, and when this is all over, Amelia's getting a tune-up. And you're paying for it! Boy, I had no idea women got so attached to their cars. Thank goodness we men don't do anything silly like that. Hey, wait for me! Act 2, Scene 3. Withdrawal Symptoms. Misty and Kitty face obstacles they didn't really bank on. As the Shade and the Vamp made their way across the rooftops of Chicago... See, isn't swinging across rooftops using the shade orang and shade rope so much easier than jumping? Haven't worked out the whole stopping yourself some other way than hitting the wall thing, have you? I'm all right! I'm all right! At the First National Bank, two formerly felonious females arrived and were immediately recognized. What are the press doing here? Back off, you jackals! We got business! You two at a bank must be monkey business. Wouldn't that make more sense if they were at a zoo? Why would they be at a zoo? I don't know. You're the one who brought up monkeys! Kitty, Misty, what do you say to the rumors that you're raising an army of primates to take over City Hall? Watch! Of all the wool-headed! No, no, you can't pull the wool over our eyes. Yeah, there's way too many of us! It's not even shearing season! Don't you feel sheepish? You know, it's times like this that I miss the well-reasoned and insightful questioning of puddles. Listen, you lunkheads, me and Misty got business at this here bank, and the business we got ain't none of your business, so... Ooh, just mind your business if you don't want us to give you the business. Now out of me way, you blood-sucking leeches. Oh, 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 my spleen. Are there any other kind? Yeah, that was unnecessarily purple prose. How can you make a living being purple? I still want to know where the monkeys are. While the reporters outside were driving themselves to distraction, is that downstate? Misty and Kitty entered the bank. At the same time, the Shade and the Vamp arrived. I'm all right. I'm all right. They made their way through the skylight just in time to see Kitty and Misty approach the security guard. 
Can you make out what they're saying? Giraffes have prehistoric tongues. What? Where? When? Why? Who? 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 Owls heads can reach 360 degrees. That's hot. I think instead of a cape, you need a helmet. I'm worried about... The vamp was then rudely interrupted by an alarm. A warning alarm. A bank burglar alarm. Was that so hard? I require specificity. Oh, for crying out. Anyway, the shade and the vamp looked down to see Misty and Kitty in the middle of the bank, with the security guard and the rest of the customers face down on the ground. All the tellers had their hands up. Oh, oh, we're being robbed! Come on, Shade! To the Shade Cave! Wait! Shade! Look out for... No! The stairs. Will Misty and Kitty get away with their heinous crime? Hey! Alleged heinous crime, thank you very much! Will the reporters outside realize what's going on? Is that the bank alarm? Why would a bank be alarmed? Have you seen interest rates lately? Will the shade and gravity ever get along? I'm all right. I'm all... <laughs> These questions will most likely be forgotten by next week's thrilling conclusion to Throwing Shade, Unfinished Sentences. Here's a sneak preview. This has been Throwing Shade, brought to you by Wood Tick Whiskey, now without splinters. Throwing Shade has also been brought to you by Eclectic Full Contact Theater. Remember to like, follow, and subscribe to our podcast, or leave a review. Created by Andrew Pond and Sarah Siegel. Written by Andrew Pond with Zach Osterman. Directed by Andrew Pond. Starring the voice talents of Chloe Adamo, Jessica Lauren Fisher, Daniel Houle, Noelle Kleiss, Zach Osterman, Andrew Pond, Rochelle Prue, and Monica Saflick. Our Foley artist was Lori Iyer. Our engineer was Daniel Houle. And I am your narrator, Noelle Kleiss. Special thanks to Tina Salamone! Tune in next week. Same Shade Time, Same Shade Station!